You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. 49 years ago, 1973, there was a decision by the Supreme Court that was called Roe versus Wade. And in that, what it established was, was the issues of abortion and what it allowed was abortion up to three months. And, uh, and then along came a case called Casey, almost 20 years later, 1992. And Casey basically said, well, that when you restrain or you uh, shorten the length of time down to only three months to tolerate an abortion, that's really not enough. So now then we saw everything was off to the races and abortion could happen virtually any time during the term of a pregnancy. For any of you, unless you've been living under a rock, you understand that um, they, that was overturned by the Supreme Court this week. And I wanted to just take a minute and uh, really a, a, a prayer of blessing and opportunity for us. Because uh, the numbers of lost children in these last 49 years is absolutely staggering. Tune in, look it up, whatever, but it's mind-blowing, the number of lives that have been lost during that period of time. And God was very plain in Scripture by telling us that 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 new birth, that baby was established. It says that I knew him when, when, when that baby was still in the womb. So we know it's been, for God, that that's always been a baby. And so now what we see is uh, I'm, I'm filled with gratitude by the fact of all the people for 49 years that have marched and worked and litigated and done all the things they've done to try to bring this back into view. And so I'm also heartened by the fact that, that up against enormous odds, the justices had enough backbone to, to say this is what the law says it's not what opinion is. We're going to talk about that some when I start my sermon in just a moment. But I'm heartened by the fact that they had the backbone to do that and resist the pressure that was, was quite obvious. So what we know lies ahead of us. We know that we have civil unrest. It's already started. We know that that lies ahead of us. We know there's going to be endless types of litigation. Uh, we see corporate wokeism already started by all the people that are saying, well, not only are we for it, but we'll even give you a ride and pay all your expenses to go, all the things that we see that's starting to come through corporate America and some of the companies. But what we understand is that what we have is we're in a fight for the hearts of people because the reality is attitudes won't change until we're successful in changing the hearts of people where they understand that it really isn't a choice, but it in fact is something that God created. It's that, that intimacy of that baby, that mom, that dad in that process. So I'd like to pray with you just for a moment and, and, uh, and ask that, that this wouldn't be the last time you pray about it with me, but that you would be praying about this on a regular basis because, believe me, we've got a lot of hills ahead of us to try to think to make things be better and better. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for the just the decision that's there. Lord, we know that, that it, it doesn't go all the way to, to cure all the inequities, Lord, that have been there, but, 
But Father, we just ask that more than anything that you tenderize our hearts and you put us in a position to help other people's hearts be tenderized. We live in such a divided country, Lord. It's uh, because of the different mores of the people that hold those views and how deeply that they become. It becomes a religion sometimes. Father, and we ask you to remind us what our religion, our religion is, is our belief in Jesus Christ, his birth, his death, his resurrection, and what we have as a result of those kinds of decisions, Lord, that you've made. And again, I just pray, Lord, that uh, I thank you. I, I pray protection for the people that are involved in this. I pray for, for peacefulness that are there. I pray for uh, companies, even maybe it's by pressure, but I pray for the corporate America to... To realize that you know maybe they make movies and maybe they sell phones or whatever it is that they do but they really we don't need them to try to legis legislate morality for us but Lord we just pray in in Jesus name father that this would be a time of blessing we're thankful for what we have Lord and help us to move forward to think to make things better and better in Jesus name amen I couldn't do that. Could you do that? How can they do that? Who are those guys? They're not going for it. Who are those guys? They're beginning to get on my nerves. Who are those guys? Paul and Barnabas in uh, Acts 14, that's where we're going to be today. But Paul and Barnabas today, it really reminded me of this scene of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, if you don't recognize it. It's kind of one of my favorites, not because they were criminals, not because they ran around robbing banks. It's just because they were such free spirits and you had no idea, you know, they had no idea what was going to happen next. But, you know, when Paul and Barnabas were on their missions, uh, it was a little bit like the Pinkertons chasing, uh, you know, the old railroad detectives chasing Paul and Barnabas because it seemed like every time that Paul and Barnabas turned around, they had to be saying, who are these guys? Every place we went, they were just there. They're always on our tail. It seemed like that the Jewish hierarchy or those even that perhaps that, that had just different core beliefs, they were, they were just on those early uh, disciples and those early apostles they were just on them all the time. Now, if I try to bring that into our life, some of us actually feel that way. Some of you are sitting here today, not everybody, but some of you are sitting here today, you feel like that you have people hot on your trail. You feel like that, that somebody in your life or somebody's in your life, that their goal in life is to try to make your life more miserable. And that's exactly what was happening because in that day, what they were thinking was, was they were going to try to make life miserable for them, and maybe then they would quit believing what they're believing and talking about the things that they were talking about. But I tell you today, if you're one of those people in today's world, and, and that's happening to you, if you feel like there's people, there's always a posse behind you chasing you for something, then what you can do is you can take heart, because the reality is we serve a risen Savior, and what we can promise is he has a much better plan for you than we have for ourselves. He has a much better plan for you than the people, perhaps, that are at odds with you or you with them. So here we are. We find ourselves, we're rolling up on chapter 14 and verse 1. 
But what I'm going to start with is I'm going to give you a little a pinch of, of a view of Paul that comes from 2 Timothy. You'll see it up on the screen. 2 Timothy, it's the first chapter. This is what he says. He's talking to, to Timothy as he writes this letter, but he's also talking to us as we understand in this, this inspired word. He said, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing, and we knew that he did appear, and we know that he established his kingdom, being Jesus, pre this is what he's telling him. He said, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and encourage with every form of patient, I don't like that word, patient instruction. For the time will come when men will not tolerate sound doctrine, but the itching ears that will gather around themselves teachers who suit their own desires. But we see a lot of that, don't we? Let me read that again. But with itching ears, they will gather around them teachers to suit their own desires that agree with them. So they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to the myths. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardships. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I'm, all, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. And reminder, this is Paul saying this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only, all, no, listen to him. He says, not only to me, but to all who crave or look forward to is appearing. So that's a promise to us, isn't it? Because we, we, we know we have that to look forward to. These verses are Paul's reflection, really, on his own life, this life of ministry since this, this uh, Damascus experience and him deciding that everything he used to believe, he doesn't believe anymore because now he has literally seen the light, the truth. And so what we find in this scripture today is this is going to take place in what we would call Turkey today, and it's in a province, a Roman province called Galatia. And if you're thinking about it, we're going to talk about several names of towns, but you can kind of just think about the geography of northwest Arkansas, and this is kind of the, the geographic mass that this moving around that we're going to talk about today takes place, you know. So remember, they, these guys are literally foot soldiers, so 20, 30 miles is still a hike, and it does separate them sometimes from what they've been experiencing. So remember that the Second Timothy Scripture has a couple of things that, I've, that I underscored. You're going to see these on the, on the screen. First one is be prepared in season and out of season. So as we go through and we talk about that today, I want you to be thinking about that our, what we're supposed to do as a Christian, we're supposed to be prepared in season and out out of season. The second thing is we realize that, that with itching ears they will gather around themselves teachers to suit their own desires. And we know that happens because people have diametrically opposed opinions from some of ours, but yet they find people that are like-minded and you know maybe it's even craziness, but they'll still find people that are like-minded to gather around them to do it. So we're going to pick it up at 14.1 now, first one chapter 14 in Acts, and they're in a place called Iconium, just a city. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish, Jewish synagogues. There they spoke so effectively 
that a great number of Jews and Greeks believe. Now, you'll remember from teaching the last couple of weeks, but it's only been recently that they started taking to the message to the non-Jews. And so now what we're hearing, we're hearing that to the Jews and the Greeks, that they spoke so effectively they believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles, so they poisoned their minds against the brothers. Sounds familiar. So speaking, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message by his grace by enabling them to perform signs and miracles. Now, here's a key point I want you to take home with you. I'm going to give you several today as we go, but here's a key point I want you to take home with you today, and that's the fact that do not back up on what you believe, okay? Do not back up on what you believe. Don't abandon the things you believe. Now, then you ask yourself the question, well, what do I believe? But the important part is you don't back up on the things that you believe if, in fact, they line up with the things that God has expressed to be true. So put it all together. Don't back up on the things you believe because we're, we're hearing these guys. They had, they had pressure on them, but yet they spoke boldly and they spoke effectively because what they were saying did line up with God's word. Isn't that, isn't that our mission, is to line up with God's word? That's what we want to do. So I've made a few notes here that, that what does it take to speak boldly and effectively? Now, some of you may be saying, hey, Tom, I'm not going to get up on stage and do what you do. I'm not talking about that. But in your life, I don't care if you're a student, if you're in a workplace, if you're at home, raising a family, whatever those situations are, we still have a responsibility to talk about the word, the God's word, boldly and effectively. Now, this may not be a complete list. I'm just going to tick off a few things, though, that I think are important for us that help, help us represent the effectiveness and the boldness. The first thing is operating within the Holy Spirit. Now, you may say, okay, because we kind of get confused about the Holy Spirit stuff, right? Because a lot of people have a lot of different views about the Holy Spirit and manifestations and all that. But what I'm telling you, if you're a believer, if you've expressed hope and belief in Jesus Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit alive within you. Now, you, if you haven't done it, you can start to trust the Holy Spirit. But remember, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you things that are in line with God's Word. He would never be a liar. He wouldn't do anything different. So the Holy Spirit, he's, he's going to be present in all of us. That's one of the things that's important for us is to rely on the Holy Spirit. If we're going to talk boldly and effectively, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. The second thing is we have to have a foundation of knowledge. And again, I'm not asking you to have a doctor degree or to have a, some degree in divinity. But you have to have a base of knowledge from which you speak. Now, see, uh, most of you adults and some of you youth have heard the story about the frog in the hot water, right? And, you know, you put the frog in the, in the water and it's just cool. And then you bring the temperature up a little bit at a time. And all of a sudden, that frog, he's mesmerized. He doesn't leave. He literally waits until he's boiled to death. Now, if you believe that, that's a lie. Because I'm going to tell you that when that water starts getting warm, if that frog has any chance of escape, he's out of there. But yet, how many of us have been told that story and how many of us believe that story to be true? But it's not true. And by the same thing, if you, if you have not tried to ground yourself, if you have not created some foundation of knowledge, then what's going to happen 
is you, you say, well, I'm going to make a decision based on my opinion or what feels good or what feels right or what Jonathan or Jimmy or John told me. But the reality is the things that line up with God, that's the things that we make those judgments by. But you have to have a foundation of knowledge to know what those things of God are if you're going to be a bold and effective speaker, truth teller. So one of the things we have to do too is we have to be continuously learning. You know, we, I think sometimes we, you know, as some of us get a little older to season of life, we kind of think, well, I'm, I don't need to do that anymore. But the reality, I can tell you for sure, you will be learning all your life if you put your mind to it. Because Scripture just continues. It's amazing. It just continues to reveal things to you that you go, even at my age, I go, ha, huh, I never saw that before. But the things that just jump out, the Holy Spirit inspires for us to do. Now, this continual learning comes largely through God's Word. But let me just give you a few other things of places that you need to be concentrating on things to do it. Because if you're, if you're trying to lead a, lead a Christian life, if you're trying to make good decisions, what I can tell you, I'll tell you what doesn't happen, okay? The elevator door opens, I step in the elevator, and I'm standing by a Christian person. Well, through osmosis, and we do the same thing sitting in a seat here, by the way, in a sanctuary, but through osmosis, if I'm standing next to this person who's really, really smart and good at math, well, you know what? I'm standing next to him in the elevator. I'm probably going to get good at math too. Just osmosis. It's just going to leak over into me. But see, churches are full of us that, that feel like osmosis is how we ought to learn things. If I go to church or if I hang around with some Christian people, I'm just going to catch this stuff. That's not how it works. What takes it takes things like personal study. You have to find out God's word for yourself. It takes corporate worship where you're coming together and you're hearing God's word expressed. You're hearing it in song. You're bumping up against people. And you're in small groups that, that are biblically based small groups so you can learn more. The other thing is, is rubbing the elbow with the saints. In today's world, a lot of people say, I don't really need to be in church. But I'm going to tell you, you do need to be in church. Because when you're rubbing elbows with the saints, and, but let me tell you, when you're rubbing elbows with the saints, it ain't going to be perfect. There's going to be some people there that think differently than you do. There's, frankly, you're going to have some people that you don't even like, but they're saints. But the reality is what we've been called to do as saints is we've, we've not been called to, to bicker or squabble or any of that. We've been called because they're our brothers and sisters. If you have siblings, I can guarantee you, you have days you don't get along. And so this is the same opportunity for us. We come together because we're bound by a common set of values, but we're called to, to come together, rub elbows with the saint, and to love our brothers and sisters in this lost world because this is what's often termed our sanctuary. Prayer, of course, everything we do, when you're trying to, to figure out what are these things I need to do to be able to, to be more bold in my faith and to, and to be able to be effective in my beliefs. Prayer, of course, everything you have to do has to be soaked in prayer, that communication with God. We have to be learning continuously no matter what our age. And in order to do that, the other thing we need to do is we need to, to not be afraid to share our testimony. See, our testimony is personal. But see... They didn't, they, your testimony, you weren't called to be a hoarder of your testimony. You were called to share your testimony. That's why you have it. Now, 
I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of dumb stuff. And if you've done dumb stuff, you, you're, you're, more, you're a personal person. What you're saying is, I used to do dumb stuff, now I do less dumb stuff. I still do dumb stuff, but I don't do as much of it. And what you do is you start to relate to people. But let me explain to you how God has changed my life. You know, I used to have these vices, these things that grip me. But the Lord has freed me from those things. But you have a testimony. And it's something somebody can argue about because it's your personal testimony. And the other thing, I think, is that when we're talking about the, that being able to present that boldly and effectively, again, as we're back to prayer. I can't emphasize enough how much we need to spend time with God and, and saying, let your Holy Spirit reveal to me, Lord, what am I supposed to do? How do I make this decision? How do I parent all the things that we need to, to be doing? So we're down to verse 4 now. And the people of the city were divided. I like the verse in Ecclesiastes that says, there was nothing new under the sun, because if you just kind of think about that right now, Ecclesiastes was written about, give or take, about 2,500 years ago. But you'd think it was yesterday or today. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others the apostles. And there was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. We're talking about the, the apostles here the, in this situation, uh, Barnabas and Paul. But they found out about it, and they fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derby, again, kind of like northwest Arkansas, and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach. They didn't draw back. They changed locations, but they continued to do what God had put on their heart. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and he saw that he had faith to be healed. And he called out. He said, stand up on your feet. And that man jumped up and began to walk. Now, I don't know about you, but Scripture says that, he, that when Paul did that, he had no reservations. He just, you know, I'm, I'm thinking... Okay, so what happens, this is me, carnal stuff, you know, what happens? I say, get up on your feet and walk. Well, what if he doesn't walk? What if he doesn't get up on his feet? I'm going to embarrass God to death. But the reality, that wasn't Paul's mind set at all because he realized that he had faith, that man had faith, and that man was going to walk, and he said, get up on your feet and walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in Lyconian language, Oh, the gods have come down to us in a human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and they rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We, too, are only human, like you. We're bringing you good news. Now, understand, in these next couple of verses, we're talking about people who, who largely worshipped gods, okay? And who were those gods? They were the gods and goddesses of everything from fertility to the rain to the wind to the earth, all kinds of things like that. So listen kind of as he starts to tell this story to them. He said, we're bringing you good news telling you to turn from those worthless things 
to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in it. So he's telling them, say, okay, now you, you know, I'm, I'm refuting what you believe because the God, not a God, the God is responsible for all the seas and this earth that you live on. In the past, he said, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not let himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, not these gods you're trying to talk about and sacrifice to, and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with, with these words, there's difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Here's a true or false question for you. When miraculous things happen, when miraculous things happen, people look under every rock to be able to explain why they happen. That's a true and false question. So when miraculous things happen, people look under every rock to try to explain why things happen. Or maybe it goes on, and maybe on occasion, we even give God the credit. But I see that as being true because so many times, what is, what, when you back up and you look at it and say, you know, that's obviously a God thing. It's obviously a God thing. But yet, we often are we're looking for any, you know, 14 ways from Sunday to figure out how to explain what happened and give credit to somewhere where credit is not due. This crowd was trying to do the same thing because what they were seeing, they were seeing the acts of the Holy Spirit literally at work. But this crowd, what they were trying to do is they were trying to connect it to their old experiences. And we do that too. You know, we have this... this this experiential part of our life. We've been through these things. We have these experiences. And they were trying to connect what was happening to their old belief system. And you can't do that. See, too often I think what we do is we have this, we have God stuff, okay? And what we do is we take our God stuff and we put it in a God box. And that's kind of our God stuff. And then we have this other part of us that seems like that, that, it doesn't really work that way. When we kind of get desperate, we kind of go, okay, so I gotta, I'm kind of got myself in a corner. I've got an issue. I've got a big decision to make. So I need to get God out of the God box, and now I'm going to make him kind of real, and I'm going to bring him into this decision process. And then when we ask for guidance, it doesn't seem like we get a clear answer. We don't get a timely answer. We don't get an answer that's in our time frame then our tendency, and I've watched people do this all my life, is when it doesn't work out like they thought it should work out, then they put God back in their God box. I don't really need to be in church. Well, I went to church one time and people hurt me, whatever those things are. But what we do is we tend to insulate ourselves and realize that, you know, at the end of the day, God's God. He does what he wants to. Now, he's going to do things in line with what we need done in our life. But that doesn't mean he's going to meet your every want, your every desire. But he will do the things that are good for you. In verse 19, it goes on, it says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul, and they dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around Paul, he got up, and he went back into the city. Now, if you've studied Paul at all, you know that Bruce Willis doesn't have anything at all on this guy, right? 
If you've watched any of that diehard stuff, you realize that Paul, what's he, and I, 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 you know, help me out if I miss some, but he's been beaten, he's been stoned, he's been shipwrecked, he's been left for dead. What am I missing? Imprisoned. Yep. And so, in any number of times, like I say, not, we're not just talking about taking a beating like in a bar fight. I'm talking about literally being beaten mostly to death. And in this situation, we talk about bar fights here? Okay, just checking, because I know some of you have seen them, and I don't want you to be involved in that. But it goes on that the next day, he and Barnabas then, after he'd got up and gone back in to preach again, after being literally just almost stoned to death, that they left and went to Derby. Now, just like Butch and Sundance, it seems like every place that these young gospel people went trying to tell God the, the word about Jesus Christ and his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. It seemed like every place they went, somebody was chasing them, beating them, stoning them, or trying to kill them. Now, stoning was a, a method that was rooted in, in history way even before this, but it was something that had kind of carried on. But you know what? That's not a lost art. We still have stone throwers today. They still exist. Some of you have stone throwers in your life. You know, they're still going to stand back and, and they're going to make a decision about the fact that, that, you know, that whatever you've done is out of bounds. You've done them wrong. You haven't treated them right. You made a decision that wasn't good for them. Now, I'm not saying that, that we don't do things wrong. We obviously make plenty of mistakes. And I'm not saying that sin doesn't have consequences because it does have consequences. Because even after we're forgiven, some of our sin still has consequences that we have to live with. It just kind of carries on. But the reality is, is we know that we've been forgiven for those. And we don't have to live under that, that sin tent anymore. But see what the gospel writers, these, these men are out carrying this out, this Barnabas and Paul in this scripture they weren't operating out of a deal where they were being punished because of sin. They were being punished because they were getting in the way of what I'll call today as convenient truth. The convenient truth, which frankly wasn't truth at all, they wanted to keep things the way they had been. They wanted to protect the status quo. Believe me, the people that believed in Roe versus Wade or the Casey deal, they wanted to keep it just like it was. They didn't want to listen to what the apostles had to say. They didn't want their, they, they wanted to, to ignore the fact that there's this Messiah that's been predicted for generations and that he had actually come. They didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear the real truth. You know, when adversaries exist just like it was in the time of the apostles, apostles? the apostles, then... The thing that we run into sometimes, if you run into somebody that, you ha that you're at odds with, and most uh, any of us have if you've been on this earth any length of time, but a lot of times when you get engaged with this, just like the apostles were, the people say, I am right. Even exists sometimes in our marriages. I am right. I am going to defend my territory. Well, see, I'm the righteous one here. You know, I'm the one that stood up and did the right thing. I'm the righteous one in this disagreement. And some I've heard say, 
I would never do what that person did. I'm going to tell you, that's a dangerous statement. <laughs> you know, we've learned in our life that, boy, don't say that. Because when you say, I'll never do what that person did, guess what? Chances are it's going to show up at your doorstep. But see, that's what was happening. They were these people that were on the outside looking in, and they were making these decisions, not knowing anything about the real life and understanding that they had. But see, people still operate today with that mindset. That part hadn't changed either. For some of the Jews and Greeks, they felt like, mine is righteous anger. For some of the people out carrying signs today and burning down things, in their mind, they're saying, this is righteous anger. I have a right to be angry because I'm on the right side of this decision. I'm entitled to be critical. See, they felt that the, these gospel preachers were heretics. They felt that they were there, they were blaspheming. What they're going to do is they're going to, they're going to, to break down all these old institutions that we've had forever, that we've lived under, and all the sacrificing and things we've done. And after all, a lot of these people, they're highly educated, right? They're highly educated. And here we have this group of itinerant preachers. Some of them are not even hardly educated at all. These people, you know, they weren't Harvard or Yale. These guys were fishermen. And who are they? They're going to tell us about the things we're supposed to believe? We complain about rejection a lot, but I can't imagine what those guys felt, the Barnabas and Pauls and the Timothy. I can't imagine what kind of rejection they felt. But yet, just like us, what we have to do is when we run into hard times, we have to understand that that. I may be in hard times, but the reality is I serve a risen Savior. And I don't say that lightly. I serve a risen Savior. I serve, I serve Jesus. And as a result is my worldview is a whole lot different than most people's worldview that don't. What we have to do like the gospel preachers is we have to persevere. You know, when... Uh, Jesus gave what was called the Great Commission. You may remember, and see if I can quote it, he said, Go ye therefore to all those places that are comfortable and have nice hotels and spread the gospel. Go ye therefore to the places where people will speak well about you and they'll heap praises on your head and they'll tell you how wonderful you are. Go to those places. But say, so we know if you've if you know God's word, you realize that wasn't what he said, was it? Because he was, he was sending these people literally out into to, to wolves and lions in some parts. He knew that what they were going to be doing. He knew the message was not going to be one that was going to be comfortable for him. So here's the last few things I want you to leave here with today, just as a, a few final notes. As a follower of Christ... We're to be prepared. I went through, and you can go back and watch it online if you want to, if you didn't get them. But we're to be prepared to be a follower of Christ. If it's consistent with God's word, don't back up on what you believe. I'm not saying that you have heard it said, you know, well, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be brutally honest with you. That's a terrible thing to say. You know, we can be lovingly honest with people. But we shouldn't back up on what we believe if we know it's supported by God's word. You must be continually learning. 
And remember, it's not going to occur by just standing in the elevator by somebody and say, well, they're a Christian person. I can hang out with them. I'd hate, I'd hate to guess in my life how many times I've had people, I'd ask them something about their faith. Are you a man of faith? Are you a Christian? And they would start telling me about how good a, a Christian their grandmother was. Like, I could care. I'm glad she was, but that doesn't have anything to do with us because we have to be continually learning. And then here's the last thing. Don't let socially convenient truths, and boy, there's a world of them, especially young people, listen to what I'm saying. Don't let socially convenient truths replace the real truth of God. Because the world's full of things that are, they look appealing, and have, they have a lot of bling and razzle-dazzle, but the reality is we're not to be distracted by that. We need to know God's word. We need to stick to it. We need to make our, our selection of our relationships, our friend groups, whatever those are, again, based on those same things. Bow your head with me as the praise team comes. Father, we thank you for the day you've given us. Well, I, I'm always thankful, Lord, that you've allowed us to come to your house today to rub elbows with these other saints. Lord, we're, we know we're a saint because if we're a believer, we're a saint. It sounds like a kind of a crazy word, Lord, but... You see us that way. You see us as, as a beloved child. You see us as one of your own. Lord, you've told us in Scripture that you have hope for us and you have future for us. And, Father, we want to collect on that. And, Father, if there are anybody here today that doesn't understand what it is to accept Christ and have them be a part of their life, it's not a lifestyle. It's a relationship. And I pray, Lord, that that you'd open up their hearts today. And for those of us maybe that are living on the margin and we're depending on osmosis be our teacher, I pray, Father, that we'll decide that there's a deeper relationship we can have with you in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.